podcast. We have this week and next week, and then we'll be done with it. Um, the past couple weeks have been exciting. There's been some stuff. I know a lot of you blushed. Um, some of you ran your children out of here in terror. Uh, I realize that, and it's been a, it has been a, a great series, though. I got lots of responses from you. Um, a lot of people on our staff got responses from you. People who are initiating their journey in life groups right now in Rooted are having conversations about some of this stuff as well, and it's been good. And the, the series is called The Beautiful Mess. And when we talk about the notion of a beautiful mess, what we're saying is we're talking about relationships which are beautiful and necessary and wonderful, and every, every one of us can point to relationships that we need or relationships that have been great. We also, because relationships are governed by human beings... We can point to some of the messiness that's part of them. And so this has been a, a series to kind of figure out how to navigate that difficult road. Um, I do want to tell you, just to put, your, put on your calendar, next week as we conclude this series, we'll have a healing service. And some of you guys are like, what healing service? That's bizarre. What do you do? And, you know, let me just give you a quick, just really quick thing. We know that people have been damaged by relationships. We know that there's a number of stories, tear-filled emails, all that kind of stuff that I'm getting, people on our staff have been getting, conversations I've had at the door with some of you. And we want to give you a chance to say, let's just partner with God in restoring what's been broken. And whether that's, you know, whether that's physical or whether that's emotional, whether that's whatever it might be, we want to come alongside you. We'll have our, our own Mission Viejo Elder team and our prayer team and some of our staff to be praying with you. So you can think about that for next week. Um, and it will be, it's, it's generally one of the greatest um, weekends we have. We do it every so often. So I just want to let you know about that. You can mark that on your calendar and uh, be aware of it. So um, we're going to jump into this particular message, which I, you know, I ran out of time. <laughs> so shockingly last week after I t- spoke like full on filibuster last week. So I apologize. I promise I will not do that. I want to get us to respond. So let's pray together. and We'll jump into today's message and um, let's do that. So let's seek God. <clears throat> Jesus, we, uh, we come this morning. Some of us, um, we are, we're desperate. We have wandered through some of this series, been thinking about things. We have thoughts and doubts. Others of us are investigating who you really are. Some of us aren't yet convinced. We decided to come to church on a whim, on a chance. We decided that whatever it might have got us here this morning, we just thought, well, we'll just see what happens. And um, Father, I'm, I'm grateful that people are here. And I truly believe that there is no accidental walking in here that you have in mind um, people would find you, would seek you, that whether it's a conversation in the hallway or a cup of coffee or um, a warm embrace or a look in the eye that someone just says, I'm glad that you're here. Um, Father, we know that um, that may be for some people the only time they ever hear anybody say, we're glad that you're here. And I know, Jesus, it's what you say to us too. And so, Father, as we talk about um, this sort of next piece in the Relationships Beautiful Mess series, we ask that you would speak to us. And so, um, as Ethan already kind of led us into, I want to do it again, which is to just pause, to exhale, to breathe, to allow you to speak to us um, in prayer. And so, Father, we pause and we just let you speak to us, Jesus. Father, we need your help. We need your wisdom. Would you give to us a sense today, Jesus, that you, um, you deeply and dearly love us. And so, Father, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, we are going to dance around a little bit. We'll be in Ephesians 5 mostly. We'll also reflect back a little bit in 1 Corinthians 6, and then we'll jump into Matthew 7. If you want to follow along, like if that, none of what I just said makes any sense to you, you have an outline, you can follow along in there. Also, everything you'll need will be on the screen if you want to just, just so anyway, however, whatever helps you kind of stay 
kind of tuned into what we're doing. Um, the theme verse for this whole series, the one in which we've kind of said, no matter what else happens in this series, has, uh, you know, you have to catch this. In fact, if you only caught this, this entire series, I'd be satisfied. I'd be like, this is great news. This is it. That's perfect. So if you missed everything but hear this, you can, in fact, if you, after this moment right now, after whatever, just a moment, then you can go to sleep. Okay, I know it's rainy and you want a hot chocolate and all, just go to sleep after this. That's fine. But just, just stay awake for just the next 30 seconds. But over the past couple weeks, what we've been saying almost every week is this. It's Ephesians 5.1. It says this it's on the screen. Here's what it says. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And what we've been saying is, okay, look, don't follow God's example as the ones he tolerates, as the ones he's kind of like, just sort of, you know, frustrated with. Don't follow God's example because you feel guilty. Don't follow God's example as people trying to earn his favor. No, 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 no. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. We talked about this at the very beginning of the series. That for so many of us, the idea of being dearly loved children is not really all that clear. We, have, we understand the idea of following God's example, of walking and kind of in his path or whatever that means. But dearly loved children has kind of escaped us. And hopefully over, this, over the past couple of weeks, this has become a little bit a little bit clearer, that if there's any beauty to come from any relationship, any beauty out of any mess, it comes from us recognizing first that we are God's dearly loved children. Now, <laughs> hang on, don't, I'll go to the next verse in a second, everyone's going to look excited. Okay, so, um, but there's another part to this that's really critical. The end of kind of this sentence is this, I want to show you that, which just popped on the screen, it's Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says this, follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk, you might underline that word, in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you have this guiding ethic which says we're going to not just be dearly loved children and then kind of, you know, some of you fell asleep. That's okay if you woke up, all the better. But, it, you know, we're not just going to recognize it's so great I'm a dearly loved child. There's this other part of it which says and walk in the way of love. The word walk in the Bible is an interesting word. It's used 1,500 times in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. It's a word that is synonymous with something else. It's sometimes interchangeable with the word Paul uses, the apostle Paul uses it, interchangeably with the word live. Walk, live, you know, it's this kind of idea. I want to give you a sense. Now, we all know walking, right? There's, um, you know, I, I always crack up in the Summer Olympics, they have the, like, power walking, which is like, I, there has to be a hidden camera show somehow with people that walk. There's just a herd of people that are like, something's... That's exactly how it sounds when they walk. But they're like, you know, they're just doing this and their hips. They, if, you, if a foot leaves the ground, if you're if you never, like, you can be disqualified. You can be 30 miles into a race and someone sees you, like, take a small jog, you're out. Like, it's, I mean, they're just moving those hips, walking. Of course, the Winter Olympics equivalent is cross-country skiing. And it seemed like no matter how many times I turn on the Olympics, we're in another cross-country event, cross-country skiing event, and there's these guys that snot just snot blowing down their face. They never have enough time to, like, wipe their face just all over them. They're like... I'm like, this is the dumbest thing. And then there's, they talk about it like everybody knows who Sven Schnornesvlakensen is from wherever. And like as if you have a poster of him on your wall, you know. And nobody knows. I, I just, I, I was super bummed because every time I watch the Olympics, there's Sven or whatever, okay. But I want you to see, this is, now, this, I discovered this this week. There's actually a, um, there's actually a competitive, I don't know if it's a sport. It, and maybe some of you who are Japanese could know this. There's actually a competitive like arena sport where people do competitive walking. And I don't mean like competitive like distance. I mean like this. Check this out. Watch this.
Okay, that's a for real thing. It's like Japanese precision walking or synchronized walking. I've found a, a ton of videos. You can look at them. I saw like the world champion of like 2013. It was, it was amazing. They all didn't hit each other and they perfect synchronization. It's like amazing. Now, we have, the, we have an understanding about what walking is. And there's this decision, there's this descriptive of Paul who says in Ephesians here, he says, walk in the way of love. And I cannot think of a better description of what it means to sort of be in relationship. We talk about this idea of walking in love. That there's a way in which we're supposed to walk. In fact, if you grew up in the church, like Christianese, like the annoying, the weird things Christians say, you know, Christianese, there's like a, a phrase people will use all the time. And they, it's like the dumbest thing. And, you know, it's, it, it comes from this, where people will say when they're asking you about kind of how stuff going with you and God, they don't just say it like that. They'll go, how's your, how's your walk? How's your walk? Well, I'm kind of upright, a little stiffness in the back and whatever. No, no, what I mean is, how's your walk? And it's like, you know, it's cheesy, but that's where that comes from. Because what we're looking at is, because the, the Apostle Paul in particular uses over and over again the word walk, he's talking about this idea of our life and our faith, whatever, however that intersects, what that looks like. And he says, with each other, walk in the way of love. So here's the skipping down a little bit. Um, there's, uh, let's see, Ephesians 5, 15 says this. Check this out. It says this, be careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but wise. Now, that word live right there in the Greek is the word peripateo, which means walk. See, you speak Greek right there. He uses the word, be careful how you walk. Be careful, it is, be careful how you walk. Not as, uh, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, I think when we talk a little bit about this, what we're, what one translation says, see that you walk circumspectly, which no one knows what circumspectly, but I think it means, you know, be careful. And there's this sense here about what he's saying is about that we might walk and live with wisdom. And that our relationships, who are designed to be walked in love, this is what it's supposed to look like, would be governed first, the way in which we walk, by wisdom. Here's what he says, continuing on. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This other sometimes translated as because it's desperate times. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, here's what this is. Making the most of every opportunity. The word opportunity is a word in Greek that means kairos. It's the word kairos. There are two kinds of time in Greek. One is kairos. The other is chronos. Chronos, however you want to say it. And chronos is the like slow-moving, seasonal, everything's just, you know, it's like the, the, the earth goes around the sun, the galaxy spins, or just a long view of time that never stops. And kairos is often, it's, it's a different kind of time. It's a time that describes a moment, a particular tiny little space in time. In fact, the, the kairos this is described in Greek mythology when they describe it is like a, is a winged, is a guy with a ponytail that comes out the front of his head, first of all, which is, you know, it's hot. It's coming back. Hipsters, that's next. Just be ready for that. Okay. Ponytail in the front. 
Then what he's got is uh, he's got winged feet because he's super fast. And the idea is you can hear him coming. Here he comes. Sometimes he's depicted on top of a ball. I'll show you a picture in a second. But he's depicted on top of a ball. And the idea is you can see him coming. Here comes Kairos. And here comes, it's not like he's secret, but here he comes moving down the like road or whatever it is. And the way in which you seize the moment is by grabbing him by his ponytail and throwing him down. Not exactly, that's literally the, like, you're like, oh, here he comes, you're supposed to grab him. Now, the idea being the reason, part of the reason why it's on the front of his head is because if it went past, if he goes past you, the moment's already gone. It's not like it's a secret, but that there's a moment, here comes Kairos, rolling down the, the street, and you can grab him in the, fr- you can grab him by the front of his ponytail, but if you miss him, you're too late, the moment is gone. So the Apostle Paul is saying, this is a Kairos moment, this is a moment, everybody. Here's what, here's what actually Kairos looks like, here he is, you can see him. There he is, there's the ponytail. You can see the wing on top of that ball right there. And he's just, here I come. I have this moment. Here it comes. And you're supposed to grab that ponytail and throw him down. I know it's a little violent, but that's what you're supposed to do. All right? Weirdest looking Greek myth ever. I don't know. Okay? Now, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that the essence of wisdom when it comes in particular, remember this is now Paul's talking about how do we walk in the way of love. This is a relational ethic here. Essentially, he's talking about wisdom here is knowing, gosh, this is annoying, knowing what time it is, you don't have to give me a handheld. This is driving me Never has this room been more silent than that moment right there. Everybody was like, I wonder what's going to happen. I'm going to get a microphone. That's it. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> I could have said anything in that moment. That would have been the greatest thing. We should have had something happen there. Uh, okay, where was I? Uh, I don't even know where I was. Kairos, thank you. I know I need to be more specific because my notes are crazy. Uh, essence of wisdom. Okay, knowing what time it is. In other words, what, kind of, what time is it? What, let's identify this Kairos and knowing how to act accordingly. So here's what I, the reason why you're kind of going, this doesn't sound very relational. I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff, but we have a ponytail and we have running and I don't know where we're going with this. Here's what I want you to get. We have referenced marriage throughout this series. We have talked about some relationship stuff. I want you to understand that this moment right here, I believe, is a Kairos moment for a lot of you. I believe that some of you walked in here today, your marriage on the brink, other relationships that you're in are in a critical situation. Some of you are in a critical situation and you don't yet realize it. And I want to kind of capitalize on it. Did you know that this is an interesting statistic? This came out on the Orange County Register not too long ago. You know, divorce rate, we typically talk about. Most people get divorced about 50%. You know, that's generally what we think about. In Orange County, you know what the divorce rate percentage is? 72%. 72%. Someone said 80. We're not that bad. We're at only 72%. We're doing fine. Okay? So I just want you to imagine there for a minute. That means virtually three out of every four people in here who are married would not be married. 72%. Now, what I'm going to talk about isn't exclusively for married people. I think it has implications for a far range of things, and you'll see why in a moment. But I want us to catch the idea here. That in your marriage, wherever you are right now, because I haven't ta- I've talked, you know, obviously I've referenced it a lot, but in your marriage right now, I believe is a Kairos moment. I believe there are things that have to happen in your marriage, and I believe there's things that happen, you know, first and foremost, when most people talk about, like, marriage counseling, one of the things you find in marriage counseling is I've been in it, some of you have been in it before, too. You find that the, the most important work you do isn't figuring out what's wrong with the other person. You're like, because that's what you hope you'll do. I'm so glad we're here. Let me tell you about why <laughs> we need to talk about her or him or whatever. 
And the truth is, more often than not, what you discover is, I got some work to do. I got to start here before I do anything else. And I just, now again, single, married, whatever, I think I want to talk to you a little bit about some of these critical things. How do we walk in wisdom? Um, which the Bible describes the opposite always in terms of foolishness. Now, these aren't measures of IQ. Wisdom, people who are wise aren't just smarter, and people who are foolish don't just have a lower IQ. Foolishness is willful, dis- willful disobedience of God, and wisdom is always a life in accordance with God. That's what that means, always in the Bible. And as we talk about marriage, you can see on your outline, I just wrote four easy steps to destroying your marriage. You know, here's how to destroy a marriage in four easy steps. And the reason I want us to focus on this is because I want, us, I want it to be alarming enough that you catch it, but if you are ready to become one of the 72%, just do these things. It's that simple, okay? Here they are. First, escalate your own selfishness. Escalate your own selfishness. Some way or another, when we talk about marriage, the, all of what you see in the Bible is, particularly even in this chapter of Ephesians 5, when Paul, the Apostle Paul starts talking about marriage, it starts first with this, in verse 21, it starts with this. I don't have it on, my, on your outline. In verse 21, it just says, submit to one another. That's the, way, that's the whole verse. Submit to each other. And the opposite of submitting to each other is, of course, a rampant selfishness. It's a way in which we say, above all else, it's, it's a way we start saying, start focusing. Here's some cues you might know if you've got it. Now, again, this isn't talking about abuse or neglect, but it's things like this. If you start saying, you know what I deserve? All I want is from that person. Again, not talking about abuse or neglect. You know, I'm entitled to just a few things. I ought to have, I should have. This, this, this would be better if they were more. All, if I could just, I'm feeling, if I could, all of that kind of stuff is an indicator of maybe that selfishness is escalating in your own life. Secondly, start believing the worst about the other person. So you have some selfishness, which has to be the fertile ground for this next thing, which is believing the worst about your, the other person, believing the worst about your spouse. Meaning, if they were a little bit, di- I mean, I know, that, you know what, they used to, something, something happened. I used to love them. They were wonderful. I remember the wedding day. They were pretty. He was handsome. You know, and then something happened, and now the sudden they're out to get me. The reason why the toilet paper is on top of the toilet roll thing is because they hate me. I know it. And you start thinking about all these kind of things. They're out, they're out, they, I just saw them, they're out with their friends and they must, I know they just talk about me. I know they don't talk positively about me. They must hate me. Believing the worst about your spouse. Third, cultivate resentment. Cultivate resentment, which goes really kind of hand in hand with number two. If they're the worst, then I can start hating them. I can start figuring out ways in which I'm done with them. I have a friend who has just recently ended his own marriage, tanked his marriage. And he has, you know, he's blown through a lot of stuff. All of the people who cared about him, his friends, he won't talk to. He thinks we all abandoned him. You know, the, you know, he literally said that, you know, you guys are dead to me. He was like, okay. But he allowed himself not only to think about his own marriage, but about everybody else was around him, that they were out to get him and that they hated him. Cultivate resentment. And lastly is this, decide on a quote-unquote replacement. So after you have this escalating selfishness, And after you have some kind of belief about the worst in the other person, that they're somehow evil, that somehow their evil is masked on your wedding day or whatever it might be. Three, you cultivate resentment. And then four, you decide on a replacement. Now you go, that's, Jeff, that's kind of obvious. I don't do that stuff. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I mean, it's like kind of, it's pretty tame in my house. You know, we don't do that. And and you kind of think, well, this is obvious. This is not wise. I get it. Don't do this. That's really simple. So all I got to do is just sort of do right thing. I got to do the right stuff here. Coming out last week, you remember I, I read an email from someone which is the best email ever about how you know what base is it okay to go to and there's the, these are adults they're not like junior high kids what base is it okay to go to you know and we're single and the, meaning you know how far can we go how far is too far and all that kind of stuff and this is kind of along these same I want to give you a sense this what I'm going to tell you next 
is essentially kind of a way to deal with that same stuff in a different sense. So just bear with me for a moment, but here's what I want you to catch. There is a wisdom here that I want you to, that I want you to catch that I think absolutely will rescue your marriage. If you're single, it will shape the way that you have, um, you think about your future spouse if you intend on being married. 95% of you will try to be married. That's what we know. That in some way or another, every relationship can benefit and your own personal life can benefit from what I'm about to tell you. So really listen closely. Listen to this. The problem with doing the right thing is this. Because most of us say, what we're looking for in that baseball question or whatever else it is in our own relationships, in our own marriages, or whatever else is we're looking for this. Is this wrong and is this right? Now, that's a, that's a really healthy, fair question but it's the wrong question. I just want to know, is this right? Is this okay to do this? Is this okay? Is this okay? And is this okay? I mean, everybody's kind of wondering, is this all right and is this not okay? And the problem with right is, the problem with doing the right thing is that we just simply are saying, well, then we're avoiding what's right. If it's it's not wrong, then it must be right. And I want to rephrase this too because the most single dangerous phrase in your marriage, in your own personal relationship with Jesus, in your own personal attempt to sort of walk in the way of love is this phrase right here. There's nothing wrong with that. It is the most dangerous phrase. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, it's not a big deal. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a big deal. Nothing wrong with that. Here's, let me give you a scenario. And I think you could see, you could read a lot into this. I'm going to talk specifically at marriages, but you'll see how this could play in a lot of different ways, okay? So check this out. The problem with, by the way, that this phrase is that it's true. There is nothing wrong with that. Let me show you what I mean. Imagine you're at work, okay? And I'm going to speak, just, this is just a married scenario. It could be, you know, either one of the spouses is at work. And I want you to imagine you're having a conversation with someone at work. He kind of catches your attention, but there's someone at work, and you have a conversation with them. You start working in a team with them. You like them. They're kind of cool. You like being around them. That's fine. Is there anything wrong with that? So far, some of you are like, I'm not sure. I, I don't, are we allowed to talk to people? Okay, the answer is no. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Jeff doesn't want me to talk to anybody anymore. I guess that's, I'm going to have to become a writer. Uh, uh, okay. Um, so then you decide, you know, you're working together, you're at work, you know, you're on the same team kind of at work, you're doing some stuff. And then pretty soon it's like, let's go to lunch together. And you go, you know, people have lunch. I mean, it's, <laughs> come on, people have lunch together. We work together. We got to go over the sales numbers or whatever else it is. And we got to talk about some stuff, working lunch, big deal. People have lunch together. Is there anything wrong with that? People still not sure. I don't know. I mean, is there other people there? What, what's it, is it candlelit or is it just outside of the sandwich? Is it Subway? Or are we at, you know, are we at someplace kind of nice? Are we down by the beach? Okay, so no, just no, nothing wrong with that. You can, people eat lunch. Has anybody done anything wrong at this point? No. Okay, right. Good. So now you're catching on. But there's a little bit, you know, you're having, you're, you're, again, this is kind of after some of these steps that I've already talked about are kind of in your marriage. You kind of start thinking as you go to work, I can't wait to see so-and-so. I mean, it's kind of fun to be around. I mean, like, we're working on the same team with them. They're, they're a go-getter, <laughs> uh, sharp dresser, which, I mean, in the most appropriate way. Uh, they're, I like being around. They're funny. They respect me. This is all, that's everything. I, I, like, I like being around. I like the team I'm with. Is there anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. Okay. Um, but, you know, there's, then at, one po- at some point or another, you start deciding, you know, people are working late. The team, the whole team is working late. And there's the decision to go to dinner that night. And everybody's like, let's all go to dinner. And pretty soon it just ends up being two people. And it's like just that you and that other person. Is there anything wrong? I mean, just, I mean everybody eats dinner. You got to eat dinner. You're working late. It's been a 12-hour day. Everybody's tired. They're hungry. We should eat dinner because people have to eat. Have, has there anything wrong with that? The answer is still no. Some of you are like, I'm not sure. It's dinner now. Lunch is fine, but dinner is a whole different. Nothing's happened yet. They just are eating. That's all that they're doing. Nothing wrong with that, okay? Next. At dinner, you start kind of sharing. Maybe, maybe it's at work. You start, you know, you're not, you're not getting the same kind of attention you need at home, and so you start deciding, I'm just going to share a little bit of personal information. I mean, it's like maybe a little inside joke, a few things like that. I mean, (laughs) 
I mean, just sharing. I'm, we share. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and we share things. That's how we have, you know, the Be Fearless things coming up. I'm just going to share. We share. I'm sharing, and they're sharing, and we're both sharing. Sharing. Talking about stuff. Anything wrong with that? Mm, yeah, maybe. Someone says yes. We're just kind of, we're just, we're just talking. Nothing's happening. And maybe at work there's like a casual touch. You know, what once was a high five is now a little bit of a, it's a side hug. I mean, it's like it's a side hug. We don't, we're not even, you know, it's not even, it's just like this. It's like you and I, hey, man, good job. You just kind of, maybe it's a squeeze of the arm, whatever. I'm just positive encouragement, reinforcement. I haven't, I mean, it's not weird or creepy. I'm just, we're on the same team. Go team, you know, all right. No, nothing wrong with that. And then you decide after work, you're like, you know what? I just, we've, had such a, we've done such a great job on this project. I'm just going to drop by. I mean, just drop by. Just dropping by. I haven't done it. There's nothing wrong with dropping by. Saying, we do that all the time. We go and see people when they're sick or whatever else it is. We bring them some soup. We're just dropping by. We're just saying hi. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. Now, stop. I want you to imagine that this is a scenario you just saw unfold in a movie or a television show. That everything I just described is what you've just seen. You've just seen every single piece of this in a movie. What's the very next thing that happens in this story? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it is like, it's on. I mean, it's like, here we go. I mean, they're going to have sex. I mean, I'm sorry if I had to say that out loud again. We've been talking about that. Past, that's just what's going to happen. You know, that's what's going to happen. There's like, there's the door that we're here. There's the casual touch. And then there's the music comes on, you know. There it is. Okay. It's take my breath away from Top Gun in that moment right there, right? There. By the way, can you guys help me settle a debate I have with my friends? Okay. I mean, the answer is, it, this is, has nothing to do with the message. Okay. Is this a guy movie or a girl movie? So here's what it is. So how many of you guys say this is a guy movie? Top Gun is a guy movie? How many say it's a girl movie? Wow, really? Seemingly split down the gender. Uh, okay, anyway, just curious. My buddies and I were like, it's a, it's a guy movie. There's, jet, there's jets, there's, you know, there's, there's dudes, and they're like, yeah, there's dudes, and there's jets, and there's take my breath away. Okay, anyway, here we go. The question isn't, is any of these things, is there anything wrong with that? Because we got all the way down to the very last moment when someone was actually in the house. And we go, oh, there might be something wrong with that. None of these things are morally wrong. Like, is it wrong to have lunch? Wrong to eat dinner? Wrong to share information? Well, no, not really. Is it wrong to, like, have a casual touch? Is it wrong to drop by? No. But all of these things aren't answering the most important question, which is what is the wise thing to do? The biggest enemy sometimes I think of making wise decisions in our lives is there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. So Paul says, the apostle Paul says, and by the way, you can apply similar thinking to anything. Whether it's your own personal struggle with any kind of addiction, whether it's a... Uh, whether it's, you know, a, 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 you're in a dating relationship about your own physical boundaries, whether it's a relationship with, it's building up with anger, whatever else it is, any, you could apply this, this principle to anywhere. It's not, the, the question isn't, is there anything wrong with that? The question is, is this the wise thing to do? So here's a moment, Paul says. This is a Kairos moment. What's wise? Now, we are people who love to push limits. We do it all the time. It's the essence of the baseball question. How far can I go before there's something wrong with that? I, there's people who are asking questions as we talked in the series about, is it okay if I'm living with someone, I'm cohabitating with someone, I'm living with someone else who's not my spouse, but we're sleeping together in the same bed, but we're not having sex? It's like, well, there's nothing, there's, nothing, there's no provision in the Bible for not sleeping next to each other. Uh, but is that the wise thing to do? Right? You get what I'm getting after, Right? 
when we push limits, here, let me just give you a sense. If you push the limits in your diet, suppose you're on, you're like, I'm trying to lose weight. I want to be, you know, really fit or whatever it is. And I have 2,000 calories or whatever. I don't know, 1,800 calories a day. I don't know how much is a healthy diet. 2,000 calories in a day that you, you know, you eat. And you go, I'm going to go all the way to the end of that calorie limit because you should, because you've earned it. You work hard. You're not going to take 1,980 calories. If you have to slice a carrot into a third so you can eat an extra, you should take it, right? When you look at your own, you look at your own budget and you go, my gosh, you know, I, 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 we're really getting tight here. We have everything's got a little envelope or whatever. We did Dave Ramsey's thing or whatever it is that we're doing. And we figure out another. We got some little bit of money we got here. But I got to buy some new clothes. And I want to go right up to the edge of the clothing budget. I just got to. If we are driving on the road, none of us drive at the speed limit. But, you know, we're just kind of, we got to get there as fast as we can. And we got to try and get as, you know, we're going to get as close as we can to not getting a ticket. So we push the limit and everything else. We do this. Now, what happens, honestly, if you... If you eat 2,500 calories in one day, you have an egg McMuffin, you fell off the wagon, you're, you're going you're gonna to be a little bit squishy. That's it. That's, the, that's what happens. Oh, man. You know, I didn't really do that that well yesterday. The world goes on. The world still spins. Everything happens. It's, you know, we're, we're okay. We'll make it. If you overspend by, you know, 40 bucks, $100 on your clothing budget, well, you're going to have to pay that off. That's a big deal. You're going to make sacrifices. I mean, the world goes on. If you get busted for going 75 on the freeway, you meet a nice police officer. <laughs> some, some loud laughter, as if that were possible. <laughs> but you pay your ticket, it's a drag, but you pay it and whatever, else. that's what happens. But here's what Paul's saying. When we talk about this area, particularly of like sexual purity, when we try to go all the way to the end, if we go over, something else happens to our soul. We talked about it a little bit last week. That we're people who naturally push the limit on everything that we do because that's who we are. We, we, we want to push things to the limit. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. It says this. Flee from sexual immorality. We talked about this last week. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Some of us are ticked off because there's no, like, official limit this is the exact moment when we've crossed over from wrong or from right to wrong there's no like official thing in the bible that describes it i mean every high school ministry like small group of guys is getting together at their volunteer leader and going tell tell us the line because we we just we're gonna we're gonna go right there right and they're gonna try that out in college and so on and forth and of course as adults we we've we've learned we don't go all the way to the line (laughs) we back up we're really (laughs) i wish okay now but all this to say there is something that happens to us in which we have to find the edge. And we're kind of wondering, my gosh, why doesn't God give us this like perfect line here in the sand? Why doesn't he draw it in the sand and say, if you jump over it, you're now in the wrong? Because if it was there, we would go right to it. Because the question isn't, is this wrong or is this right? The question is, is this wise? Is this wise? That's the question we're faced with. Now, we're up against a lot. Guys, you're up against what I would describe as a sculpted woman everywhere you go. That when you turn on the television, it's a sculpted woman in front of you. Women, you're also up against this too, but for different reasons. Everywhere you go, man, there's a sculpted woman who is looking beautiful, who has been airbrushed, who has been photoshopped, and who is calling to you saying, I'm the ideal woman. And when guys get in conversations, here's, let me just give you a sense again how this wisdom walking kind of idea works too, is that guys will say to each other, who love each other and care about each other, will say things like, you know, How's kind of that whole purity, lust struggle going with you, whatever? And they'll say, oh, I'm not looking at porn. <laughs> Don't look at porn. 
Meaning, there's a very specific narrow band to which they're describing porn to be. It's a very small little thing, a very small target, of which they're looking at everything else that might also be otherwise called that same thing. And the question isn't, are you looking at porn? The question is, are you living wisely? Because there's so many sculpted women images that are coming at you saying, this is what a woman should look like. And every wife would tell you, if they could look you in the eye with tears in their eyes, they would say, every time I get the sense that you're doing that, now, granted, guys are visual and they can't, they're just like a, there's a little bit there that they can't really control. But there's a part of it, though, that you go, if you're engaging in that appetite, every woman in here will tell you, I feel woefully insufficient and compared to that other image. I, I will never live up to it. And I think you look at me and compare me with that person and you go, I'll never be that. And it makes me sad. Women say that. And they would tell you if they could tell you. Now, for, for women, you have the fantasy of a scripted man. It's a sculpted woman and a scripted man. And the scripted man is the one that you see in every romantic comedy. You know, the romantic comedy formula is always boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy tries to figure out a really intricate plan to retrieve girl, and he goes through all kinds of lengths, which makes you, the audience, love this boy, and then there's this wonderful, you know, final moment with a catchy tune at the end of the song, roll credits. That's the whole thing, right? But that scripted man who goes through some kind of conversion from being the rough, aloof person who doesn't care about the person to a finally deeply caring person who says all the right things, that's a scripted man, and your husband will never be that guy. He just won't. Let me give you a sense from, of the ultimate of scripting of, um, of scripted man from the, the author of the scripted man, Nicholas Sparks. Okay? <laughs> some, of you, some of you women, you might have, if you're younger in particular, you probably have this quote. You've heard of this quote. It's been on your Facebook page. You have monogrammed it on a T-shirt because you're waiting for this person. He doesn't exist unless he's a woman. Here we go. Here it is. Let's see. Let's see. That's, that's, we need to go there. Here we go. A guy out there was meant to be the love of your life. Your best friend. We need music for this. Next service, I'm putting music on behind this. Your best friend, your soulmate, the one you can tell your dreams to. He'll brush the hair out of your eyes. Now, stop right here. I know there's a lot of, like, 13 or 14-year-old girls who are sitting somewhere next to a guy, and there's hair in their face, and they're just looking at him like, there's hair in my face. I don't see you. There's hair in my face. Okay, right? Send you flowers when you least expect it. He'll stare at you during the movies. That's, that is creepy. <laughs> if you're sitting next to someone, you're watching a movie, and there's just this person just going, oh, ha, ha, ha. just staring at you. Why don't you watch the movie? I don't want to. I just want to stare at your face. Okay, next. Even though he paid $8. If this is 1983, he paid $8. <laughs> He'll call to say goodnight or just because he's missing you. Hey. Just missing you. Um, by the way, who hangs up a phone like this anymore? Like we have rotary phones. <laughs> Click. Okay. He'll look you in your eyes, and, your eyes and tell you, you're the most beautiful girl in the world. And for the first time in your life, you'll believe it. Okay. Just want to let you know, future married women, that guy doesn't exist. Nicholas Sparks knows how to sell books to girls. I'm just telling you very clearly right now, okay? Some of you are like, don't, don't, we don't say things about Nicholas Sparks, okay? I know that, and I'm sorry. I just want to let you know, I have a little moment of realism here, that when you are looking at your husband, it is not like that. There is a guy who can do that for maybe a little bit while you're dating, but after that, he's back to being a dude. I'm just telling you that right now. Women, you have that as part of your image about what a guy is supposed to be like, and there is no guy I've ever met who can live up to that. 
It is not possible. And you look at your husband and go, why can't you do that? My hair's in my face. Do you not see it? You know, like, can you not move it? Okay. It's not going to happen. And what we have, we have this difficult road in which we walk, which is a really difficult thing about going, how are we supposed to do this? We're up, we have to live in the world. The world has things like a sculpted woman and a scripted man. And we, the people who follow Jesus, have to figure out how to live like amid, amid that world. It's not always clear. Is there anything wrong with, like, lingerie? Is there anything wrong with the roadkill show, The Bachelor? Is there anything wrong with, uh, you know, the beach or a movie or whatever else it is? No, there's nothing wrong with those things. The question you have to ask yourself about any of those things, whatever it might be, you can name anything in the world, going to the mall, whatever you want to call it. The question isn't, is it wrong? The question is, is it wise? To give you another example, let's, if there's a recovering alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic cannot go to a bar to get a Coke. Yeah, I'm really thirsty. I'm just, I'm just in the bar to get a Coke. That's, is there anything wrong with getting a Coke in a bar? No. It's just not wise. Now, I understand the implications aren't easy because this is like, it feels like for so many of us as we talk about this, especially if you're new to church, if you're like, I'm investigating this stuff and what are these people all saying and what's it's all about? The implications are a little wild because it feels like it's the church against the world in some ways. And granted, Jesus says, hey, you know, I want you to be in the world but not of it. Paul talks about the same kind of engagement with the world in a different capacity. But it does feel like it's us against the world. I mean, look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. It says this, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor, your God with, honor, honor, honor God with your bodies. In other words, your own life, your bodies, have been given to you, and they are not for you alone. They are for you to honor God with. Nobody in the world talks like that. that even, it's even hard to understand as a Christian. What's that supposed to mean? Paul says your bodies matter. They have a high value, which is different than the world. And some of you are looking at me going, Jeff, <laughs> you're crazy. You're just crazy. You live in pastor world. You know, angels babysit your children. And, you know, you, 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 don't, you, 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 you fall asleep at the wheel all the time, and the God just guides your car places and things like that. Everything's protected for you. You don't know. You live in a little bubble. And to a certain extent, you're right. But I would also say this. I'm actually asleep right now. But I also say this. I would say the reputation of pastors isn't one in which they're no, like, famous for not falling into temptation. That the wisdom principles I'm talking about now are so incredibly important for me, myself, even now. Because I still go to my, I, my, my default statement is still always, not is this wise, it's, is there anything wrong with this? Nothing wrong with this. It is something we are in together. And this is a difficult, it's a difficult world we live in. And there are stories, and there are wounds, and there are needs for healing. There's been condemnation and judgment and abuse and neglect in this room which is why we're going to have a healing service next week, because it is hard, and we've gone down roads and made decisions that we wish we didn't, and we need restoration, and we need hope. We have made a mess of our own lives and of other people's lives, and we need the beauty of God in our own lives to restore us. But it is hard. Look what it says in Matthew 7. Verse 13 says this, Enter through the narrow gate. Just as Jesus speaking here. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Verse 14. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is saying, in so many terms, he's saying a couple of things. One is this, all the time in Jesus' own words, he keeps using this phrase over and over again, seeking and finding. Trying, the kingdom of God is like this thing you have to go and find and seek, and those who seek it, find it. 
And he says, when we're in this walking metaphor again, remember this walking is, a, is synonymous, at least in the Hebrew Bible, with the word obedience or morality. When we're in this walking kind of life, the way in which we move down the road, everybody is going a direction. It is so easy to say, well, because everybody's thinking that, that must be then the way we have to start thinking ourselves too because, because when everybody's going that way, it must therefore then be right. And Jesus says, there's this other road. It's small, the gate's small, and the, the path is narrow. In fact, some translations have the path described as constricted or difficult. And he says, that's the way that leads to life. And everything in your body is going to say, go the other way. And what I'm saying, Jesus says, he says, follow me. And he says, when this, this idea of seeking and finding, and particularly when it comes to seeking and finding a particular way, all he's saying is, you come and find me. Come and find me. Walk with me. That in some way or another, what we do is we go, okay, God, I'm going to live as your dearly loved child. I don't understand all of what it is, and it's really difficult. Wisdom is a harder road than foolishness. Wisdom is a harder road than foolishness, and it takes an incredible amount of effort. And yet, God says, you find me, and I hold you as my child, so that you're able to know wisdom from foolishness. But there's this element of tragedy in this too. When we talk about anything like this, always, that we have to live with the reality that there are some desires in our lives that are going to go unfulfilled. That is the reality. Some of us look at, at God and we're just going, God, you're supposed to give me every one of my dreams, every one of my desires. It's not true. This is why Jesus looks at a crowd of people and says, everybody's going to find a way, but not everybody's going to find my way, and it's difficult and it's hard. It means you're going to have to go without some things that everybody else goes with, and that's hard. There's no other way around it. This road is difficult, and it's not just a stroll. It's not a walk. It's more like a hike or a trek. It is difficult and it's dangerous, and it's why we need each other. When Paul says, I want you to walk in the way of wisdom, not as unwise but as wise, in every area of our relationships, in every area of our life in which we follow Jesus, it is one in which we go. Not, is there anything wrong with that, but is this wise? this is a moment. I want to give you a moment, and we're going to respond together as a church. Just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to consider a few things just before we begin to respond in prayer and in, um, in some songs. I want you to consider something. Is there anything in your life, you go right now, that you've allowed to be present there that isn't something that you go, it's, ah, this is just wrong. It's just something that you go, nothing wrong with that. Is it a relationship that you've initiated at work? Is it a, a habit that you've begun to engage in that's a little bit, nothing really all that wrong with that, but it might have some effects if it goes, if we look the long view? Are there parts of your life that you go, man, I wish there was something I could do. There's there just things that I'm allowed. There's presence. There's things that I've allowed to have a presence in my life that are not wrong, but they're just not wise. Maybe for you, this moment is one in which you go, this Kairos moment is a moment in which you go, okay, I can keep going down this path or I have to make some kind of changes. I have to come to God. And this moment, as we sit here, maybe it's a moment you come to the prayer wall and you write something down and place it in the wall and have people pray for you. Maybe you come forward and people actually pray with you. And you don't have to be super specific, but maybe it's something you go, I'm heading down a path and I need God's strength and I want to walk with him. 
I want to seek him. I want to walk in that narrow road. What is it for you? Jesus, as we respond to you, as we sing, as we come forward for prayer, as we're prayed for, maybe as we even pray for other people, there is a sense, God, might there be a sense, Jesus, of freedom and of life. This isn't just about guilt. This isn't about feeling terrible enough to do something. It's about just living wisely. Father, we want to be people who live wise. We want to be people, Father, who walk in life, full of life. So, Father, would you hear our prayer? Would you hear our songs as we sing? And then would you, um, would you join us, Jesus, and, be, and hear our own praise, hear our worship, hear our words, and hear our desperation, Jesus. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.